Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Oh, hey, everybody. Another episode of the Quarantine Cast. I'm Ben O'Brien, and Phil is drinking a beer. I am. In the saddle. It's after after five. uh, I'm making dinner. That means it's, uh, it's beer time. Yeah, it's beer. I'm going down and just chug a bucket of margarita or some shit when I get when I get done. Sounds it's one great. of those. It's been one <laughs> of those days. It's one of those days. Um, but you know, the best part of my day, I was just telling the guys this earlier. The best part of my day is actually recording these podcasts because it's literally just um, me and my buddies talking about hunting. Yeah, yes, we do talk about the the situation at hand, but uh, mostly just hunting tales. So I I liked my favorite so far was yesterday's with Sam. And Shane, so hopefully you all who have listened to that one, listen to it. If you haven't, we'll give you a minute. Go back and do it. And we're back. Um, how you feeling, Phil? Just a daily check-in. Give me a, give me a rundown. I'm doing good. I'm done. Uh, the, the homeschooling has started. Um, so that's another another wrinkle, but it's not, it's not too bad. Um, so that's honestly kind of nice to mix it up a little bit and actually give give my kids something to do that's uh, not trying to, to entertain himself in the backyard and, and, and run around the house. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Similar. You may hear at some point during our the interview, this session with Steve and Yanni, uh, Patelis and Ranella, respectively. Um, if you hear, like, my wife screaming at our child that uh, – something that happened a lot today he's you know he's cooped up i'm sure a lot of you that have toddlers or three-year-olds or whatever you know young children even you know or 16 teenagers probably too um or if you're a teenager yourself you're feeling cooped up it's kind of hard to get along it gets harder to get along you got to try a lot harder to to keep the peace as you get deeper into uh quarantine time so but i mean you'll hear steve uh, say in this podcast that he this is the first time he's been able to really stop and be with his family. But Phil, I sent you an email. I want to say that we got a contender to Alec Acox fly fishing turkey from episodes 
prior. You guys will know that for a couple other couple episodes this week. I didn't think any turkey hand turkey drawing from the great hand turkey contest of 2020 to refresh your memory. That is where you push your hand on a piece of paper or whatever, trace it, and then you make the the resulting image into a t- turkey in some creative fashion. Alec Acock took a bunch of fly fishing materials and made an tr- actual turkey out of it that looked like a hand. Now we have today, we get an email from, I will give you credit, man, David Burgess. Um, he is, he said, hey, Benny O and THC folks, embedded and attached is my silliest, most ridiculous, majestic, and delicious submission for the 2020 Great Hand Turkey Contest. I call it The Man. Enjoy. Cheers to health, sanity, and TP. So now, Phil, I want you to take your first look at this uh, this, this work of art. Okay. Uh, just because it's titled The Man, I have a feeling I know where this is going. Yeah, I mean, if it's any, an easy if, play. if any of the listeners have uh, perused the Meat Eater YouTube channel. Oh, let's see here. So you'll hear later in the show that Steve and Yanni got to look at all my favorites. Uh, it was a bit of a cluster, <laughs> as it always is. But this, what do you think about this one? I think this is a, is a, a challenger for the throne. Yeah, I mean, uh, with all respects to 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 Alex Acock, um, this is this is more what I think uh, I was picturing. The, like, okay, it's it, it's a definite hand turkey. There is a clear hand outline here, but <laughs> he has uh, illustrated you. Um, uh, it, it's a face that you made during your your turkey. I'm the man video that you can watch on YouTube. Um, yeah, go to the media YouTube and just search. Uh, I don't know Ben O'Brien turkey. I don't know what what you would have to search to get there. Media turkey it. hunting. You'll it's you'll it'll pop up. Um, yep. But you're on high alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm definitely on high alert. And um, it's the, well done. The art the, is well done. The detail in the feathers is is incredible. Um, you're you're there's a majestic blue sky behind you and. You're perched on top of some, some sort of green green hill. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's great. It's great. I feel like it's vaulted into the lead. We we spent some time at the end of the show with Steve and Yanni going through these. It was pretty hilarious watching them trying to try to sort through what the hell we're even looking at here. Uh, I, I when I look at this, I feel simultaneously proud and and confused. Uh, probably the same way you did when people were drawing your face on things, Philip. Uh, so that's that's where we are with THC. We're simultaneously proud of the show and confused why you listen at the same time. So that's that's a good analogy for the old THC. So uh, the the contest is going. You have till Tuesday. You'll be listening to this on Thursday. You got a couple of days left. You got a weekend to think about it. We didn't quite make it to a thousand yet, there, Phil. But we have uh, many hundreds. I haven't been able to kind of get through them all. So you'll. Hear more about all of that when we get to Stephen Ranella and Giannis Patelis talking about vasectomies, talking about Mexico coos deer hunting, and generally what they've been up to in the quarantine, because I'm pretty sure most of you folks haven't heard from them since they went dark. So enjoy Steve Ranella and Yanni Patelis. Hello, Stephen Ranella. Hello. How you doing, sir? Ah, ah. I'm uh, I'm in day seven of my fourteen day quarantine as um 
as dictated by the governor of our state because I returned from international travel. You did. And you're, can you describe the, the room you're in right now? You were just kind of giving me the lay of the land over there. When we bought this house, I don't know if you remember, there was like a little craze for a while to have a wine cellar in your house. And they designed this to have a wine cellar in it. And that's now my, I use it as my office. You would never guess it's a wine cellar, except for it's a weird little room with no window. But then next to it is a secret room that you'd never know was there. Well, until I put a handle and a keypad on it. And I use that for secure storage. Yeah. But I can reach out my I can reach out my arms and touch both walls. <laughs> yeah, you, you got enough to read behind you. Yanni, uh, where are you at, man? I'm just sitting at my kitchen table, countertop, island. There's a lot a lot we want to talk about, but we were just just talking about uh as you guys always do, uh, animal penises. And we Mark Kenyon and I were both discussing vasectomies the other day. Um, did, Mark, both, did Mark did Marco get one? No, he didn't get one. But we're oh. both thinking about it. We're both nervous as shit. So Shop, Yanni shopping around, shopping around, and Yanni kicking uh, the tires, kicking the old tires. On Yanni just just gave me a pretty good description. Could you, Yanni? Could you just kind of well, I'm talk not going to this. I'm a little I'm not going to steal the description. I just thought it was a funny description. But our um, mutual friend Dar Colburn. From uh, Colburn and Scott Outfitters down there in Arizona, in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, he described it when he had his done as though someone was uh, pulling on a lawnmower pull start. That's oh, what God. it felt like. Um, I had none of those sensations uh, when I had mine done. I uh, I had a very nice conversation with the uh, doctor about. Uh, he was a big basketball player, and we talked. It was it must have been springtime, so I think we were talking. NCAA, uh, March Madness type stuff. And uh, yeah, before I knew it, it was over. And uh, recovery? Tell me about that. You know, it, it wasn't all that exciting. A couple of days with some ice and maybe a painkiller or two, but I don't remember anything real serious. Uh, from the recovery, the I will tell you, it, it's awkward to talk about, but like the most – cumbersome the biggest hurdle struggle you deal with is (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna tell you is uh you gotta clean the pipes out afterwards and you gotta make sure you gotta make sure that you don't have any more live sperm and and that the operation was done properly so you have to i forget how many times you have to go back in with samples but three it's times, three times, and then I you wait. You, right. you made a wait a month. You do another one. You wait a month, or and then so, they call you and they're like, "Congratulations!" Yeah. <laughs> so there's a there's a couple weird things that go down because one, you're like everybody's like, "Well, hurry up, let's get this thing all cleaned out so we can have uh, unprotected sex." Everyone said that. Yeah, because everybody's on board for having unprotected sex. I would think. Well, who all? Who all? Are you including in everybody? Well, guess yeah. there's two people. Just, oh, just okay. I didn't know yeah. if there's if you had a different situation than I <laughs> than I was led to believe over the years. I had, <laughs> I had a whole I had a whole group text going with everybody. I was excited no. to hear. So uh, yeah, you're sort of like, well, how do we do that? Are you gonna, you know, is there going to be some help, or is this all on my shoulders? Uh, you know, to clean the clean the pipes. 
And so yeah. there's, there's that conversation that you have. And then it's also weird when you're going back into the office to drop off a sample in the brown bag. Like every, when you walk in through those doors, everybody there knows what you have in that brown bag. So you have to sort yeah. of just become okay with walking around with a sample of your semen. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that, none. Um, <laughs> there's a service now. There's a service now. It's called something like Daddy, where you just mail it in, man. They made it like, um, you know, it's like a e-commerce kind of deal where you, you, do, you don't have the weird thing where you have to go wait in line and then say really out loud to people, uh, can I help you? And you're like, oh, yeah. You know, and then you <laughs> feel like trying to clarify how you got it. You want to hint at how you got it. And you'd be like, we, uh, you know, we worked up this sample rather than I worked her up. Yeah. Yeah. What's in this bag is mine. <laughs> it's, it belongs to me. Just so you know, I've never, of all the vasectomy conversations I've had here recently, I've been doing a lot of research. I've not heard of this issue, Yanni. Nobody oh. has always brought this up at all. So there's some guys I, I got buddies that have had that for not for the testing after the vasectomy, but have had to go down and just go into a back room and and produce a sample. And they say that that's like a whole other level of humiliating. Ooh. That's when you're doing the fertility stuff because they want it fresh. Yeah, uh, that's a that's more pre- a lot more pressure. Oh, it's enormous amounts of pressure. Yeah, no, because here's what the thing is too, Ben, is that I think you have to produce like two or three clean samples, clean meaning that there are no more live sperm in a row. And so if you make it like two, and then all of a sudden the third one or the second one, whatever, is again has a live, live sperm, you're sort of reset. So then you just start all over again. So it's not, you're not- Yeah, like there's a little- like a little live one was hiding out in a crease somewhere. And- <laughs> it's the opposite of fertility, is what you're telling me. You're trying to get the, you're trying to go the other direction. When I when I was doing when I got mine done, I go down there and uh, I tell the story all the time. I like it. I go down there and the guy, like I don't even think he's already. I don't even think he started yet. And he's got the the what side did he get done? Trying to remember. He's got the right side done. And I'm like, you know, how long it'll take or whatever. And he says, Well, I already did half of it. So I was like, holy shit, this is going smooth, you know. But then we're talking and talking and talking. And all of a sudden it occurs and I'm just kind of lost and whatever. My thoughts. And all of a sudden it occurs to me that we've now been here, you know, 25 minutes. And I'm like, well, how could the one have been over so fast and we're still here? And I look, and this dude has just got blood. There's like blood everywhere. Because <laughs> I had this thing, uh, this like thing called, I think it's called like a varicocele, where in your scrotum is this just like ball of nerves. Um, and they, they're painful, especially on hot, humid days. And he was trying to dig through all that to get the vast deference and cut it and had all this Ugh. blood going on. And at one point, I remember he... Uh, he kind of closes his eyes and, and brings his hands up to his eyes and rests his head in his hands, covering his eyes with his hands. And he takes like a deep breath and makes a whoosh, 
noise. Like he was getting zen and collect and collecting himself and then dug back in again. <laughs> but even then, I just went home and nothing happened. I can't. I no can't. pain, like no pain. You lay around for a day and you're like, there's not even any problem. Yeah. Not a I, big deal. Well, it's good to hear. I just feel like that's the the one type of surgery you only want to have one you only want somebody cutting into that portion of your body one time in your life. I think Probably. it's so I think it's like psychological, man. I think it's just because it's your scrow. If it was anything else, if it was a finger surgery, you wouldn't even talk about it. It's true. That's true. Hundred percent right. All right. Well, uh, thank you. It's a public service you've just done me. Um or personal service. Now we got to go through like you guys haven't been, you haven't done a meteor podcast uh, since the quarantine, right? No, man. Um, so people are going to want to know what's, what's going on um, in, in your lives. I guess. So I wrote down a bunch of questions I had for you. Cause I ain't, I haven't seen or talked to either of you in this, this scenario for a while, but the biggest one I think is at home with kids. I we've, we've talked about this on the daily podcast, a bunch already um, with everybody that's home, but, but that specific situation um, has been interesting for me. I got a, a son that was screaming during our last podcast, the people running around. So like, Yanni, you want to start with how's it going with the kiddos being home from school? Like what's the, what's the approach at the Patelis household? Sure. Uh, we're still finding our groove. That's for sure. <laughs> we, we, nothing, <laughs> no, nothing's dialed in here, but we've, uh, I heard that, uh, one of our other colleagues was splitting the day in the middle and she was getting up real early, starting her work day at like four or five and then going until about noon and then swapping with her husband. And then she would take the kids for the rest of the day and uh, he would then work. So we've done that a few days um, and that seems to work pretty good because, you know, the whole day just with the kids can burn you. Um and it's not a big deal. Like I took my kids squirrel hunting last week one day and that was easy. We were just out and about all day and, you know, walked around the woods, had a good time and the day flew by. But when you're stuck in the house, you know, we've already hiked our backyard about, I don't know, it seems like 20 times in the last week is I'm sure it's only been five, but, um, so yeah, so I think splitting the day has been working pretty slick where at least, I'm definitely not getting like a great eight hours of work in every day. Um, but if I'm getting like a solid four to five and then I can get another hour in while, you know, we're all just doing stuff together and I can knock out a few emails that don't require, you know, full, full attention. Um, that's about how it's been going. So, um, there's been, I mean, that's kind of the struggle of it, but there's been a lot of pluses too. Um, I haven't spent this much time, straight with my kids in years um you know having every meal with them almost and uh just hanging out with them a lot so that, that's been great steve yeah i you know the the broader circumstances notwithstanding um i've uh, i've enjoyed a lot of it because this is the first this is the closest i guess being quarantined is the closest I've come in my adult life to a normal life. Um, I'm always gone. I'm always like thinking about how I got to go somewhere and that weighing over your head. 
and it's been really interesting just to hang around um, without this sense of that you got to like get your shit packed up or that you got to really like hurry up and sort of be a dad like very aggressively for a few days to make up for what you're going to miss. Uh, it's been interesting to hang around. I've really, um, I've been liking a lot of it. My wife, you know, our kids are home from school as, as is most people. Um, my wife kind of set up a little homeschool, a little one room schoolhouse in the kitchen. And she's got maps hanging on the wall and they have a schedule that hangs on the wall and they have recesses and, lunch break and they run it like a little they pick what they want to research every day there was a bad moment today where they watched some childbirth videos and and my <laughs> oldest boy got very very upset by it uh <laughs> very traumatized by it he Why, just, just the, this the visual traumatized him traumatized him he wanted to watch about how crocodiles can eat stuff, catch stuff, crossing rivers and kill it, which is totally fine for him. But, but a, a, a human being born is like really disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm right there with him. Yeah, he's not alone. I was gonna say there's plenty of grown men that can't handle that either. <laughs> My wife was super annoyed with him. She's like, I don't want you to be one of those guys that <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle it. <laughs> I, but no, it's been fun, man. We set some beaver traps on Saturday. Uh, there's well, there was a guy I knew that had a beaver problem. But I could, you know, it's only one beaver, so we set beaver traps on Saturday, caught the beaver on Sunday, and then checked on Monday and Tuesday just to keep busy. Um, and we'll get out. We'll we'll keep doing that. And I know I feel what you're saying too about kind of when you travel a lot or you got you know an intense work situation that takes you away or at least takes you mentally away, if not physically. You feel like when you're being a dad, you have to have this intense, like, you got to be the best dad for the time that you're there. So you mm-hmm. can't, that's one of those things where you got to be, when you got to be present in the short time you have to connect. And um, this is so spread out, man. It just feels so spread out to me. It's hard to, it's hard to know how to structure it. Yeah. If you travel for work a lot, I think that you wind up, I, I didn't really, really appreciate it so much until recently because we, I was home for a bit when I'm normally not. And then we went on family vacation to Mexico and then came home. And now it's been another week. Um, and I realized, yeah, I don't feel this need to like jump, uh, jump through hoops trying to do like dad stuff. And just to have a day go by where we didn't, I wasn't like at least, at least bummed that we didn't pull off something semi spectacular, but (laughs) yeah, man. Yeah. You feel like you got to go over and above. There's gotta be some sort of fireworks to, to, to drive home that you're there and you care and, and all that other stuff is just, just in the way of that. Um, you got to Like, do you guys either have like a moment during this quarantine? We'll move on to actual hunting stories in a minute, but like a moment during this quarantine where you felt the anxiety that you didn't think you would, or is there any moments that have stood out? You think you remember for a while? I've got plenty. <laughs> yeah. A lot of anxiety around, I think like everybody, anxiety around the economy, you know, we got a friend that we got a friend who's a restaurateur and when you say restaurateur, are you supposed to throw the N in restaurateur? I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. He's a restaurateur and what was he saying, Yanni? He had to lay off 60 people, man. That's right. It's devastating. It's devastating. And then Yanni's got fishing guide buddies he was talking to. I don't tell me, Yanni, about what you're telling me. 
Uh, yeah, they just, uh, you know, they, they make all their money basically starting now. And these are some guys in the Keys starting now and all the way through into June, maybe. Um, and that's pretty much, hopefully, we'll be sort of heading towards clear skies by that point. But uh, anyways, they're going to lose, you know, most of their yearly salary because of this thing. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's just right up in their grill for, for you know, right in the forefront. And it uh, got me thinking this to think like, well, how, you know, how many steps removed is my job from that? You know, if, if the economy really screeches to a halt and, um, you know, the company I work for isn't generating a ton of money, uh, how long does my employment last or my paychecks? Yeah, it's unnerving. I found that, you know, in life in general, in life in general, you know, you got to be careful when you complain um, and you got to think of what's downstream of you when you complain. So anytime we've talked about this with our kids and otherwise, uh, we, we try real hard to put it in context, you know, like, you know, just to be like, hey, man, there's some people that are really, really suffering right now. So sure, let's talk about how it's a bummer that we can't go hang out with our with the neighbor kids, but you know, at the same time, be like, come on, you know, we're here as a family. No one's sick. Everybody's safe. We got food. We got a job. So, you know, it's just, a, it's an exercise in trying to be realistic. Yeah. I mean, if, if a time like this can't make you appreciate, you know, the small, what, you know, the things that you would consider to be small and other times you're never going to get, you're never going to get that appreciation, even being able to, I'd love to sit in traffic and head to the office to see everybody at this point. I know you said that on an all-company thing the other day, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted to hug Callahan. He came to, came over to borrow something from the garage, and you just kind of looked out the window like you want to give that dude a hug. Yeah. Uh, my wife was trying to implement this thing where every morning we had to say something we were thankful for. And the other morning I said, um, I'm thankful for the days when you're not mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my <laughs> oh man, that's uh, that's uh, like, that's a double edged sword, there, Steve. You're really working some angles. I'm thankful when you really respect me. Uh, all right, well, on a more uh, a generally positive note, like, what have you got done that you need, like, garage projects? I know that we've been on the mediator handle and talking to our whole all our boys around the office. Uh, or at least around our home offices, that that people a lot of the questions like, what are the things we can do right now? So like, what you know, garage projects? What are the things y'all are doing? Oh, dude, I'm getting way out ahead. <laughs> I'm way out ahead on projects. I'm grinding thirty pounds. I got thirty pounds of Neil guy ground up this morning. I got to bag it still sitting outside because it's nice and cool. Just for regular uh, regular old uh, ground meat. Regular ground meat, burger meat. We're having burgers tonight. Out of that, we're gonna dig a handful out of that tub and have some burgers tonight. I got some. Uh, this is how far out ahead I am. I'm hanging these little hooks up for beach towels on a post out in my yard later today. I'm holding one of the hooks right now. That's that's where I'm at. I'm just wishing the ground was thawed because my daughter wants some uh, pull up bar type things out in the yard, but I can't can't get the post in because the ground's frozen. I'm thinking about yeah. melting that shit with candles just to keep plowing ahead during the quarantine here. 
Dude, I wish it was garden season too, man. I'm looking out the window going, oh my God. Oh, isn't that a missed opportunity? Oh, it's the worst. We've had a lot of conversations. Johnny, you might be thinking on this. We were talking the other day about what if this happened in September? What would it be like if it was September 14th right now? Yeah, I'd be like, I know a great place to social distance. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm gone. But I, the other thing that, that we were saying, that they, would you feel comfortable at this point leaving your family for, say, 10 days in the backcountry with you know, maybe just a sat phone? No, things are a little too on edge right now. Yeah, that's where yeah, I land. Yanni? Not right now. Yeah, we just there's too many unknowns. Yeah, and how like that? But I, well, but in, a, a, not in, in less than a month, I'm planning on taking my whole family camping and turkey hunting. So I'll go. Yeah, well, that's fine, man. I'm gonna go yeah. with them. Yeah, as long as you're together, that's fine. Um, last one, I just made making a bunch of notes. Quarantine meals, like what's been, what are you cooking? What's been good? Experimenting? What the hell's going on? I had a major breakthrough. We, we ate yesterday. But I, I really I really screwed the pooch because I took great photos through the whole process except for the last uh, like the finished product in the bowl and uh, it's all in everybody's bellies now <laughs> so the, the insta story is gonna kind of have a real poopy ending but it, um, speaking of nil guy I had this bag of nil guy that was labeled sinew trim I think. And oh yeah, I just I just ground one of those up. <laughs> you ground it, okay? Um, see, I feel like it's not going to work. Well, we can discuss that later. Yeah, um, we got different viewpoints on that. Yeah, I don't like having seen you in my burgers. Um, but Jesse was telling me because a lot of times I look at that stuff and I just throw it away or I grind it up for the dog. But Jesse was like, no, man, make stew out of that. Like, cause you just have so much collagen in there. I mean, this is like literally a bag that was had to be 50% silver skin and tendons oh, yeah. and white oh, chunks, fat. Like, there wasn't that much meat in there. Man, I chopped it up, not super small, but you know, less than an inch. I tried to keep them under an inch and uh, braised it pretty much all day. I don't know, six to eight hours. In uh, half beer and uh, half uh, beef stock, and I forget what else I threw in there. Maybe some garlic cloves, some bay leaves, a sprig of rosemary. But man, that I, and then I let it cool. And uh, then, then the next day, I finished it and turned it into a stew just by adding carrots, potatoes, and uh, a few uh, dried cherries. But man, when that stuff cooled down, uh, it was like a just a pot full of jelly. Meat jelly, just in a good so, way or bad way. Oh, yeah. super good! Just like so wow. rich and silky, and it just really cha- and and the meat was delicious. And as long as you don't mind, like, because at that point you're not like that gristle isn't going to get stuck in your teeth because it's so broken down. You just have to give it a couple of chews, and it you know just kind of disappears. Um, where that's why I feel like I don't like it in a burger because that ain't going to happen in a, in a burger. You're going to chew on it and it's going to get stuck between your two mo- your big molars there and you're going to be having to pick it out later. Don't but anyways, I grind that shit up. You take the <laughs> fine. Anyways, big game changer for me. Like now all that stuff is going to go into another bag called, you know, see you stew me and I'm going to be making stews <laughs> forever. Because listen, when you if, if you just take like a top round 
and chop that up real small and make that's a batch shit, of stew. That's shitty stew meat. Yeah, it's like you can never – it's dry, you know? It's always kind of dry. It's, it's not like – it's good, but it ain't great. This, yesterday, everybody was scarfing it. Scarfing yeah, the when jelly. Yeah, we were little, when we were little and our folks would uh, – you know, the, the, what they would call stew meat would be not stew meat. Like they would use – they would make a stew with the wrong cut. They'd use like, you know, like rump, yeah. sirloin, rounds. And it had that, yeah, that dry kind of mealy. Yep. Yeah. Not good. You've been picking your teeth with that raccoon baculum? It <laughs> not works. Yet. Really? I don't know what end I would use Let's see for it. that. Oh, they should the have hook. a sharp, there's a sharp point on them. The hook end looks like oh. the one I use. Eh. Yeah, where did someone give me a baculum that they said was a toothpick? Oh, that's right. It's got like, it looks like a scroll on the end of there. Hold on, let me grab mine. That'd be hard. Yeah, we were comparing baculums here. Yeah, I'll I dig will, mine out later. I learned <laughs> you'll dig your. I'll dig it out later. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been to that point, man. My parents always just whatever it was. Backstrap got fried, and round steak got stewed, or whatever the hell it was. And it was never right, but it was that's a generational thing, wasn't it for you guys? For me, yeah. It was. I think Yanni, people are going to be digging through your freezer and going to find that bag of sinew meat. It's just going to go like hotcakes, man. <laughs> Well, that sinew stew is that that's got to be on the website, man. That was almost like the it's like the last piece of the puzzle for me. I mean, I felt like every other part of the animal, I figured it out. But because you know what else is going to go right into that pile is going to be that um, I think we call it the skirt, but basically that flap that kind of runs from the ribs over to the top of the um, the hip there. Mm-hmm. That is for sure going to go right into that same pile, and I think it's going to be amazing. Okay, flank. Um, I think that'll be great stew meat too. Um, So, yeah, that's it it really rounds out my uh, sort of wild game approach. Steve, what have you been working on over there? Uh, Last night, well, like I said, tonight we're having burgers. The other night I had a – this is worth talking about. There's a fish we get at our fish shack called a peacod, Pacific cod. And uh, we've always struggled with the best way to prepare it. It's like when you when you fry it, it kind of soaks up too much oil. It's real fragile. Um, it's just a hard-to-handle fish. It doesn't. I used to think it doesn't freeze well. But sometimes you get a few of them or more, and uh, I'd always wanted – to mess with it and i had a piece of i had two pacific cod flays in my little boy uh caught last summer and um they've been sitting in the freezer since september or since august so i was a little leery about them but i had them vac sealed and the bag held up uh you know what hadn't burst so air got in there but i took those flays out and rinsed them and uh cut the pin bone out of them and then what I did was I got the oven ripping hot. At, so I got that, not ripping, but I got to 400 degrees. And my daughter helped me with this, but we took the flays and did them in, dusted them in flour, and then rolled them in egg wash, just like you're making fried catfish, roll them in egg wash, and then put them in panko. And then baked that thing on a sheet and holy shit was that good man i mean i've done that with a bunch of kind of fish but it wanted to be perfect for that fish 
because you can leave it in there and it kind of it dries out and that panko makes a firm it sets up real firm so it winds up giving like some structure to the fish it's almost like what's that where you take meat and you put it in a dough Oh, like, like a, a beef Wellington. Wellington? <laughs> <laughs> it's like fish Wellington. Like that crispy crust. Yeah. It kids my kids ate it up, man. Loved it. So now when I catch peacock, I'm gonna be all happy. I love it. I love it. Well, we gotta we gotta tell a hunting story. Yeah. And I figured I figured uh we could tell the story of a Mexico coos deer hunt that was the first ended up being the first uh TAC ever. But before we get in hot ass, sitting under that hot ass tree in the middle of the day, man. The middle of the day looking for coos deer that we never found. Uh, me missing that buck that pr- tried to charge us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a 10, 10 yard shot. Missed him clean. Um, but before we get that, we've been doing this. I've been doing this as episode, I think, nine of the daily show. And we've been trying to recall a hunting story every time with the people that I was there with. And I, it, it's been an experiment, like how people recall hunting stories. How you recall something that might have happened two years ago, and I think in this case three years ago, whatever. How you recall, uh, collectively recall something going down. So, like, Steve, do you have a way that you feel like you normally recollect a hunting story? Like, uh, points that you normally go to as the animal, the place? Like, what, how do you approach it? Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, question, and I feel that that's a good question because there is something that happens. When I was there, if you remember, you know, we're hunting very close to the U.S. border. Um, All, you know, we spend our whole year being inundated with stories of tremendous violence along the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, That gets in your head in in a way that's hard to ignore. And then... um, you're on edge. You're not, you're just on edge. You're in a strange place. It's hard to, it's hard to read social cues. It's hard to tell what people are doing. You know, all the complexities of being, you're 60, 70 miles from the U S border, but there's just a lot of complexity to it and it's nerve wracking. So being there and we were, we were, we were staying quite close to a highway there and there was always strange trucks and new people and, and, just like what the hell is that and what's going on on the road and why is there this guy pulled over and right your mind just runs away with you so at the time i would have told you that was the trip where uh it was a trip where i was real nervous all the time but now when i tell it it was the trip where we found many gigantic bucks and had the best (laughs) time of our lives (laughs) it was it was the like should have been here yesterday. Oh, but I was here yesterday. yesterday trip. Yes, absolutely. And Yanni always tells that. I, I probably made that mistake. We recorded the, these stories and stuff way back when, but I make that mistake of probably overselling, you know, the the danger piece of it. Because one, it's a compelling talking point. It's a, a thing to talk about because it's a natural, as you said, Steve, kind of a natural way to approach the situation because it is when you cross over from douglas to aqua prieta the differences that are divided by a fence are amazing and you start to kind of weigh those two things in your head and try to try to make it stand up but i know yanni even when we were down there on this particular trip kind of you know said look man you gotta you gotta take that for what it is but also take where you are for what it is because if you didn't know where you were this would be the most idyllic place to hunt deer um, maybe ever, Yanni. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I just think that that's that uh, that story gets blown up, and like Steve said, your mind runs away with you. Our buddy Jay's been doing it for thirty plus years now, and has never had a single even kind of run in with any sort of danger or dangerous people. Um, so I think if you're uh, not being a dumbass and, you know, in Agua Prieta at two o'clock in the morning drunk, <laughs> you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. I just got back from Baja a week ago. And prior to that, we were down hunting coos deer in Sonora and it took this year my it was i think this i can't remember i've been down there six or seven times now i had to add them up it's one or the other six or seven maybe six um it was finally this year that i allowed reality to take its place to take its position over emotion or whatever and i was like totally comfortable the whole time cuz i'm like nothing has ever happened it's not only not happened to me but not happened to the many people that jay guides or hosts or helps so this year i was totally chill about it totally but i don't want to but i don't want to act like overplaying it or not I, i think that any discussion i have about the feeling of danger is honestly commensurate with what i felt justified or not it was just there it was like it was there in me and I'm just giving voice to what's there. I'm not taking that and, and and giving it like a greater position than it deserves. Like I have always felt a little uneasy down there. But yeah. again, looking back on it, it was the trip of giant bucks. <laughs> and yeah. I don't feel any this, any this is- less uneasy. Not that I go to like big cities that often, but uh, I feel the same sort of anxiousness or and uneasiness if I'm in new york and all of a sudden you're in a neighborhood that doesn't look quite as clean and gentrified as uh you know what you're used to or you know you you drop me off in uh i don't even know the neighborhoods of la compton (laughs) is that a neighborhood in la yeah i know yeah i I know how you know about that one yeah yeah (laughs) they they talk about it in some rap songs i think big 90s rap fan you know what i'm saying like same thing with uh, with Detroit. You know, we used to go there for to watch a uh, baseball game every now and then. And there were parts that you drive through that uh, were scary, you know. But it, it might have not been um, – oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not verified, but uh, help me out, Steve. Um, Just, justified? Warranted? Justif- yeah, warranted or justified – because there are just stories, you know, well, yeah, we're going to drive through this neighborhood and the place is always on fire. It's like, well, we always drive through there. Nothing's on fire. But people <laughs> like to tell those stories, you know, that Detroit was just burning half the time. But it never actually was. Um, so, but uh, yeah. anywho, yeah. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. 
these medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. I, I do remember, you know, there's little moments, though, when you when you cross the border there and you go, you check your guns and do that whole thing, and then you kind of get, get going into Aquaparates. Like, I remember seeing... You guys remember the water park that's there? Kind of an oddly mm-hmm. placed water oh, park. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think of those moments as like getting to know that place um, in, a, in a way, right? Like this is it's not something you expect to see. You know, there's relative poverty everywhere in Aquaparesa, but up out, of the, up out of, the, of the mist is, up out of the dust is a water park. Yeah, I, I've come to, I, I've been to Mexico many, many, many times, man. And I, it's, my, uh, it's my second favorite country. Next to America, if I if someone said like you can only visit one country besides America, I would ab- like without hesitation. Yeah, I would say Mexico. So well, you Canada, know, this trip- Canada could suck it because we got Alaska. <laughs> Just the uh, revolving door to Alaska. So we got to get to the big giant bucks. Uh, and Steve, we could start with with the question. I'm I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Was was the coups? Buck, that you shot on this trip, the biggest you you ever shot in terms of what was on top of its head? 
Oh, yeah, man. Not only that, I think it's one of those rare things. Well, no, it's not rare because it's happened to me a couple times. I think that I, well, I know that I did. Yeah. Did I? I think I probably shot the biggest coos deer I ever saw. And, and I shot the biggest mule deer I ever laid eyes on. That's the one in Colorado? Yeah. No. Yeah. Idaho. That same year? No, but I'm saying, how many things can you think of where you actually got the biggest one you ever saw? Oh, I see. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, this one I saw one day. I don't, I don't know that I've seen, I don't know that we've glassed up. We haven't like gotten a really good look. Um, I might have seen it in passing and not recognize what it was, but I never got like a good look at a coos deer bigger than the one I got on that trip. I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong, and I definitely had. I, I definitely got the biggest. Well, I, I yeah, I'm almost positive. I got the biggest mule deer I ever saw on its feet. That ain't bad. Well, I mean, in this case, in this case, it was. I don't know if this is. This is about as textbook a situation, a scenario to to have it play out for coos deer is the one where your buck did. I mean, yeah. I don't know of of, it's, of it's, a more it's spot and stalk with no in between. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I spotted it, I stalked it, <laughs> <laughs> and I shot it. Hey, there's one over there, and then an hour later, it's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So give us, yeah, run us, run us through this scenario. It's the day. It's day well, one. I feel like right? yeah, it was early, and I feel like you mm-hmm. saw it. Yeah. No, it was. Uh, see, this is why I love trying to figure out these hunting stories with, with people I was there with, because we're always like you're always kind of spin it back, and everybody remembers it a little bit different. But yeah, we were sitting there. It was, I don't know, probably ten a.m. Eleven. It's it's later into the morning. And I know we'd seen twenty. I feel like we'd seen twenty some deer. Yeah, we'd Does seen twenty. We, yeah. Yeah, and we saw one buck, but we spooked it, I think, or it's or it's all some boogered off, and we were just kind of working our way through these. Uh, I would, you know, I would say these ridges above, there was an old creek bed below us and then a, a field that was planted below that. And we, I was just, we were just sitting there late morning, probably getting ready for lunch, getting ready for midday naps. And me and Dirt, old Dirt was there. It was me, you and Dirt. And I, we were sitting there glassing this hillside and I came across what looked like a giant set of coos deer antlers. And I remember you saying something to the effect of, um... I'm no Dr. Coos deer, but I have a feeling that that is a nice big coos deer. Because, <laughs> yeah, because I, you guys had been there for I don't know how many times prior to that. So I, I had, this first time I'd, I'd seen any coos deer on its feet. I said, I'm, yeah, like, I'm no it, expert. Far be it for me to say, but <laughs> I'd like your, to turn your attention to this deer and see if you can't check it out. Um, you're right. He was on his feet. And then he, we kind of watched him and watched where he laid down um, and yeah. then made a plant. Well, no, we had one of those, you know, there's a conversation we had that happens where you're like, well, go get them. And they're like, oh, no, you, by all means, you go get them. And wow, no, you go get them. And we sliced a piece of uh, summer sausage, a piece of donk. We sliced a piece of donk. I put a little gouge in one face of the donk slice. You did. Yeah, you did. And you had to call like gouge or smooth or whatever <laughs> and, we, and we flipped it and i won the right to go after the yep. coos deer and what the, the biggest problem with coos deer there's a bunch of problems with them one of the big problems with coos deer is that they lay down and you you go like okay i know where he is you know but then you take some circuitous route to get over there 
And when you get over there, you realize that the hillside that seemed very clear to you being that, oh, there's the the big bushy bush in the rock, you know? And then, and then like an hour later, you're looking at it from a different angle and it looks like it's not a hillside. It's four hillsides and there are 30 big bushy bushes <laughs> and you sit there and you're like, I, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea. I thought it was, I don't know where it is. Is it on that hill or that hill or that hill? But this one, he bedded down in a, not a big bushy bush, but a like very distinctive tree. Yep. In a hillside that had no other trees, and in a place where this red grass gave way to this yellow grass. And it was probably the only time I could think of stalking a coos deer where I did all my sneaking and plotting and figuring and eventually popped up in the right area. And I was like, ah, dude, that's the tree. That never and, happens. <laughs> and you had a good cover to kind of approach him. Oh, yeah. You could get a you got above him. You approach him perfectly. I'm sitting up there. I'm with dirt, and we had a devised a red bag, red bag, green bag scenario, where if, if he had got up and boogered or, or had moved, I was going to hold up a red bag, and if he was still in the same spot, I would hold up a green bag. And so, as you're going, it's the you have the perfect route. You got cover the entire way. You get above him. And you're and I and I'm assuming your wind was good because because of the result, but that's the most nervous I've been on a spotting scope in my entire life. Because you had already given me kind of the instruction of, hey man, these things can ghost you. They can they can be gone and there's nothing you can do about it. So stay on the spotter. Don't let him get out of there. And I'm up there by myself, and I this is the the most nerves I've ever had looking through a spotter, trying to see trying to see you, trying to see the deer, trying to see you, trying to see the deer. I remember being scatterbrained, trying to hold a green bag in the fucking air, trying to get all this stuff sorted out at one time. But I think from from your standpoint, it was it was if you were to write a playbook for stalking up a coos deer, this is it. Well, where I broke the rule though was this: um, I got where I had such a commanding view of, like I knew with such precision where it was. And I had such a commanding view of it, and I knew from your from the bags from the vi- from the visual signaling we were doing, I knew that it was still there. And a smart person might have just set up and waited, 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 because it'll eventually stand up. But what I did is I actually everything was so perfect that I was able to kind of slowly, kind of nudge down, slowly nudge down, knowing that he would eventually stand up to try to figure out what was going on. And so I was all ready with my shooting sticks and kind of nudged, nudged, nudged until he did jump up, not jump up, just stood up because they do that. Like you'll see him do it all the time. They stand up to see what's going on and not bolt necessarily. And um, once I stood him up, I I took my shot. And yeah, coos deer of a lifetime. That's risky yeah. business. I mean, well, it, it is, but it's not because I could also picture that if I waited something could happen where he didn't just stand up and where he did blow out like the wind, a coyote, another buck. Right. And I felt that like I had so much, I, it was, I was far enough away. I was, I don't know, 200 some yards away at the time. I, I didn't feel it was risky and I was proven right by history. That's right. And I mean, we, there's been that year and then and the following year, there's so many times when you see, see a big buck like that you think you got a handle on where he's going to be and if you spook him it's over you're never going to see him again um and that that country 
can hide a deer, hide those deer like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's 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 addictive, man. That yeah. country, though, out of all the country we've hunted, I think over the years was some of the more open country. And when we would find deer, it wasn't like they were just walking behind bushes and trees uh, as often as they have on other ranches and other hillsides where they tend to disappear more often. There's yeah, a lot think, of open yellow grass on that place. And I think if, if you were, and this is my case, if this was to be your first coos deer hunt in Mexico and Sonora, you would think it was simultaneously very easy and you were going to get a look at, I don't know how many big bucks we got to look at on this trip, a dozen maybe, something like that. We were in them pretty much every time we went out. Um, but there was, I can think of six or seven bucks off my head that I know are bigger than than the second trip I took. So this place, I don't know if it's it's where this was, the amount of water that was accessible here. Like what, Steve, do you have any feelings on why this place just kind of held more big deer than at least I've ever seen? No, I think we just caught it at the right moment because guys have gone back since then and they haven't found that to be true at all. We just caught it. We were there yesterday. Yeah. Well, so, it, it hadn't been hunted. That, yeah. that was That certainly helped. Well, I should yeah, I should add that we kind of cleaned it up. We did. That we yeah, did. We, we, did. I don't. I don't think that that place had had other hunters um, pour the coals to it. Well, no, like they. Yeah, I mean, other other than uh, maybe a cowboy shooting a deer here and there. It, it, yeah, they, it just those deer had not been hunted for quite some time, maybe in their entire lives, and um, there was a, a nice crop of mature deer running around. Yeah. You have any other recollections of of that particular stalk on that deer, Steve? Because I, I just looking back now, I'm, I imagine you could replay that a hundred times and it wouldn't go that way another time. No, and it was just the, the, it was like the time that everything went right, and yeah. and and uh, yeah, I don't I don't go into when I'm going after one of those or someone's going after one of those. You don't do it with a whole lot of cockiness. We hunted this year down there, and uh, we found a nice buck and maybe could have got a crack at it the second we saw it. And then Yanni worked it for two or three days. We knew right where it was. Like you could tell at any given time within a hundred yards where that thing was. He, he worked it from above below any possible angle and no reason to think it wasn't in there. Just never found it. Yeah. He just never surfaced again. Well, he did surface again, but, uh, I'd put the sneak on him, and then he, and then he'd be gone. Not because uh, he's spooked, but just because there's only there's yeah, like, it's just thick. You can't. There's no spot. You know, you wonder like, did they get lucky? Did he pick a spot where he's like, dude, I'm gonna live in here because it'd be a bitch to try to get me, um, or or is he? I don't know. But he had a spot where like we knew he was there. We knew that he was like right in this little pocket. But there's just no way to work him. I imagine that's they choose those things. Conditioning being what it is, man. If they've been chased around, you know, yeah, he's probably like, I hang out here, and for whatever reason, I don't get yeah. shot at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's probably that simple, exactly. But yeah, I, I mean, know, if you think, I about don't it, know. I don't feel like hunter pressure uh, influences the movements of those deer. No, you may be right. Maybe he just it's had a lucky one sp- one week out of every year of their lives. I just. Other that's than that, point. they just they just see a, a a cowboy, you know, every now and then that's not shooting at them. So um, I, I mean, just think well, that's you should tell that to the one you should tell that to the one that had a cowboy's bullet in his leg. 
Right. Well, no, I mean, we know, we know that some of them get shot at cowboy by cowboys, but, um, there's one or two cowboys per yeah. 15, 20,000 acres, yeah. you know, I think that's no, just, right. the, that's just it, the nature of that animal, man, where they yeah. live and, like that, and how they keep, stay alive and not, don't get eaten by mountain lions. I was gonna say it becomes a chicken or the egg thing. Is that a big? Is that buck big because of where he happened to lay his head, or or did he figure that out and get over there, and that's how he got big? Yeah, I don't. I'd love to know when you find a buck that's in a really tricky spot, um, and you just can't find him again. Is he in there thinking those mountain lions will never get me, <laughs> <laughs> or is it just? He doesn't even know why he likes those spots. Yeah, he so. likes it for the shade. He likes it for the escape route. He likes it for kind of how he can move around in there, and that just so happens to be an extra layer of protection that he didn't necessarily plan for. It's just got elementary pieces that he likes. It's hugely um, temperature driven too. Where it was this year, it was like you know we weren't getting the cold mornings. Um, the deer were spending virtually all daylight hours on north and east facing slopes where they'd get a lot of shade um on the some weather you go down and they're they like to go out in the big open hillsides you know and get soak up the sun and that makes them vulnerable but this year man you had to just start you had to start your day you had to start your day glassing uh in the shade and it's hard to find them in the shade they stand out like, well, I mean, relative to other times. They never stand out like a sore thumb because they're little diminutive little deer. But uh, they're a hard thing to find in the brush, man. That's yeah, that's true. And that, so that, you know, that property we were on, that ranch, that Estancia we were on, I mean, you should wonder if it's all those elements kind of just come together. It hadn't been hunted. It had a lot of open terrain. Uh, we had good weather. It's a little bit of rain, if I remember correctly, but we generally great weather and it just had in that that piece of country has a lot of the elements you need for to grow big coos deer anyway that uh, was the only ranch i've been on down there where i saw a full-on legit uh gray squirrel <laughs> like a tree squirrel gray squirrel yeah yeah i mean it that, that's the most uh turkeys i've seen and and spending that spending time in sonora too so i mean it was i think because of the amount of water it had probably uh just where we were a little bit richer than it would have been otherwise yanni you want to tell your buck story sure uh i was hunting with john snow the uh what's his title gun editor king of the north king of the north from uh field and stream and outdoor life now i believe and uh we had gone across the highway this ranch um was bisected. I don't know. There wasn't much on the other side, but it was bisected by the highway. And we went to the other side of the highway and, uh, saw some deer in the morning, saw some bucks in the morning, saw actually a really nice buck. Uh, I saw him for maybe a minute as he rolled over a ridge that was three or four ridges away. And then I, t- I had to, Beto was with us. Beto's our uh, fixer. that sort of helps us out there. He helps us, you know, translates while we're driving across the border goes on grocery runs or gas runs if we need it and then he also likes to hunt coos deer so he was with us and uh 
he kept telling me, no, we can go over there. I said, no, you don't understand. It's like four ridges, not just like the next ridge. It's like four ridges, like the farthest ridge. And I was having a hard time explaining that in Spanish. So he finally said, let's go. And I'm like, all right. So we start hiking. He's hiking in his cowboy boots. And uh, once we got onto like the second ridge, and then I said, explained to him again that it was two ridges farther, he said, oh, yeah, we can't go there. So um, that took me into the <laughs> middle of the day. We hooked back up with Jon Snow and uh, hunted around, nothing too exciting, middle of the day. And then uh, we decided to basically just walk a ridge for the last hour or so. Um, there weren't any real great vantages that you could get up on to s- just cover all this country, but we could walk this ridge and just glass these small bowls that were only maybe two, 300 yards across and um, lots of Acatillo, great looking country. And we would just walk the last hour, you know, the crepuscular period and, and hope that we just catch something on its feet. Uh, so we'd go to these smaller high points, glass for five, 10 minutes, continue to walk. And um, somehow I got ahead of John. I don't know if he just stayed back to glass something a little bit longer, but we actually peeled off the ridge and went around a little bowl to another little ridge looking down into kind of a longer valley. And I crept up to the edge of this um, this ridge. And uh, luckily I was creeping and didn't just walk up and, and just peek over. And uh, I just saw the, you know, the tops of his antlers at like, 60 or 70 yards and so i actually got back off the ridge dropped my gear and signaled to john he came over eventually i told him about this buck because it was his his i think it was his first coos deer hunt and he was kind of our yeah. guest so i wanted him to shoot one and uh i told him there was a buck right below us and he was going to the left and so we did we did a little horseshoe peeked over again, maybe 75 yards up the ridge and caught right up to him. But uh, John didn't want to shoot him. And so, uh, because I had found him, he wanted to find his own buck, which uh, I can respect that. But I had left my rifle back with my pack. So, so he's like, well, you shoot him. So I had to take his rifle and shoot him. And, uh, it was tricky, man. It was, uh, not thick, but definitely through some layers of Ocotillo I remember having the scope open, like down, like at like four or five power, and looking at this buck, and it was just too many Acatillo. Acatillo, if you're not familiar with it, it's like a uh, multi-pronged bush branch that just grows straight out of the ground, but right out of the base of it, just like, I don't know, some of them have 10, some have 30 or 40 of these long um probably inch to two stiff inch bull diameter whips. yeah stiff bull whips that can be she some of them are probably 10 15 feet long and i love walking through them they're the coolest thing they're covered in these spikes like you'd hate to take a crash on like a mountain bike or something into a acatillo anywho i'm looking through the scope and i just remember seeing so many acatillo branches and being like man i don't think i can thread one through there but once I dialed up the scope a little bit, um, I could see like a, a path to his vitals. And he was, again, 60, 70, 80 yards, somewhere in that range. I wasn't ranging him. Um, and I didn't have a rest. So I was shooting offhand and uh, figured I could make that shot. Well, I touched one off and nothing happened. He just stood there. 
cycled, touched another one off. He just stood there. He didn't. I guess he didn't know where the shots were coming from. And then the third shot, I um, hit him in the lungs and uh, rolled him over. And that was the end of that. So, yeah, definitely not like a classic coos deer hunt. And it's, what's interesting is I've shot two of them that way, um, caught up to them real close. And uh, it's, it's cool to be that close to a, to a buck that you're not supposed to get under 300 yards of. But, um, yeah, it was fun. John and I had quite the adventure packing that bugger out. We had left a road and gone onto another road that they weren't connected because of a washout or something between that. They were parallel though. Between the two was a vat. We thought it was a Valley. We hadn't looked at it close enough. It turned out it was more of a Canyon. So each of us with our gear and half a Coosie on our backs, we decided to try to cross the Valley and go right back to our uh, four wheeler. Um, instead of walking the road all the way back around the, um, and, and sort of circumnavigating this, this, what turns into a Canyon. And so we added a solid 90 minutes. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that night, we got in pretty late. You guys were all in your pajamas by the time we rolled in, <laughs> but, uh, no, we were legit yeah. worried about, we were pretty worried about you. We had eaten, we had made dinner, eaten dinner. Divided yeah, all Yanni's, d- divided up his effects. <laughs> yeah. Wrote, wrote a letter to his family. <laughs> yeah. Yanni has decided to take a different direction in life. Yep. He's oh, it was brutal out. too, man, because the whole time down we descended this hill was nothing but cat claw. Just thick cat claw just shredding our clothes. And we get to this canyon that's like, it wasn't that, like it was... In desperation, like if you were getting chased by um, a uh, you know Mexican drug lord, you would probably jump off this wall and get down into the bottom and, and, and risk you know twisting an ankle and then cutting out of the canyon. But just to like save time, you weren't going to do that. Um, so once we went back and forth along the canyon wall for 30 minutes looking for a way to squeeze through the, you know, the super steep stuff, maybe find a little chute or something, we couldn't find it. We had to hike back up. I don't know. It was at least 20, maybe 30 minutes straight up through this cat claw. Uh, it was brutal. And then we walked whatever it took us, 90 minutes back to the buggy and then rolled out. So it was fun. It was type two type fun. It's a fun story to tell. On the back end, that's uh, the and that was a good year buck. of big bucks. Then that was a that's big right. buck. Yeah, yeah, it was like uh, I don't know if I ever taped it. I might have taped it. I think it was like a hundred and five incher, something like that. My biggest to date, real wide. Um, I forget how wide he was, but he was wide for a coos deer. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, from from a novice as I was at that point, that's a second buck. I think you guys killed your bucks one too. And that's just the two bucks I've seen. That sets quite the precedent for a guy who's never laid eyes on a coos deer in camp before to see two mega giants. Well, two giants, whatever you, however you say it. Two big bucks come in and day day one and day two. And I, I certainly didn't have any expectation on my own, but we were seeing so many bucks that you just felt like it was going to happen. And um, it so did. we should. And it did. We should talk about. There's a lot to talk about from here on, but El Gigante uh, still lives. 
No, I, I don't day, believe that he does. <laughs> he, he's, I believe he's still out there, he, Stephen. He, he lives in your <laughs> mind, that's for sure. He lives in my heart. He's there out was there. A buck. There was a buck. I, I'll tell my version. Please. There was a buck that we caught at a weird angle and, and, and had some image of it uh, and thought that it was just like the largest buck ever to walk the face of the earth. I yeah. now realize that it was the angle, uh, his position relative to us, the angle, the sunlight. It was a perfect collision of circumstances that made this thing look like El Gigante. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe. As and I a, believe as that a- that buck is, is uh, I believe that we got that buck. And we just were looking oh. at it all all wrong. You think that John Snow shot that buck? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah, you do. Okay, he certainly uh, was li- living in the same neighborhood, and 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 has the exactly same antler configuration. <laughs> That's true too. I believe that we happened upon you know a near mythical creature as he was standing on this little knoll, as you'll remember, Steve, like yes. in the sun, a the grassy sun just- sunlit knoll. If a, if the sun ever kissed an antler better than this, I'd be surprised. <laughs> like it just it was just like haloing around. This it embraced deer. the sun. Embraced that antler. It really did, and it it, it was like a three dimensional. You know, you could almost experience. say it magnified it. Uh, no, yes. more more like uh, amplified it, or amplified. or shown it's true. That's the, sun, the same thing. The sun made it look way bigger than it was. Is what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, i was trying to th- I, I always tell people man when i'm coos you're hunting or any kind of mule you hunt whatever i give every deer the benefit of the doubt like every deer could be a buck and every <laughs> buck could be a big one it's like until he proves otherwise i assume he's giant it's just how yeah. i keep enthusiasm high well i mean what what were we like day this had to be day three or day four hmm, uh early or you know we're still early in the hunt. We had Steve and I had sat up on a knoll and recorded the uh, inaugural episode of of the hunting collective while glassing for bucks uh, under a under a tree in the shade. And I don't. You'll have to pick this up here because I'm a little fuzzy on how we got over to this deer. Um, but did we record the podcast after El Gigante or before? Do you remember? Before. Before that's yeah, what I thought. Because because yeah. you guys had Garrett with you when you guys was the incident ran where into... yeah it was before yeah and then we ran into that yeah ran into him we got we spotted a buck we wanted to chase and we get we went working down a ridge the ridge the same ridge of, of where we had climbed at to the top to record that podcast like a nice little glass and tit that was kind of at the the center of of a really good zone where we killed most of the rest of our bucks in this trip and getting, see a buck we're sliding down this hillside to kind of get in position to try to get a better look at him. And I happened to just put my foot in the exact wrong spot, slipped, put my hand back and right into a cactus. And, uh, I can't remember Steve, if you, did you just keep glass in the buck? Cause I just had to sit there and pull what felt like 500, uh, cactus thorns out of my hand. That sounds like something I might have done. <laughs> <laughs> he did. 
And this was my my own pain uh, really affects me greatly, but I find <laughs> the you pain, find that you're the pain of well, others. I just I'm, I'm fine. Empathy, yeah. <laughs> Screw it. So that was the night before we ran into El Gigante. Now that I'm putting the pieces together, because I remember we slid down after this buck. We never got a good look at him again, and I I went back with a throbbing hand, uh, feeling like a jackass. But the accomplishment of that that day was that we recorded the first THC. Um, On but the a next hot day, hot ass hillside, dude, feeling just, very dejected, de- dejected, trying to de- trying to figure out what the hell we were gonna do. It was it did get hot that day. I remember being sunburned as shit. My hand going back to the to the ranch house, hand throbbing, wrapping, bleeding, sunburn. Just thinking, all right, Coos deer is not as easy it was when Steve killed a buck. Uh, we're gonna have to work for this one. And then the next day, we went back to the same zone. This is another mid-morning thing. We spot a deer as we're working through these bottoms. Spook that deer. Remember, we worked around. There was a deer that was kind of bedded down in a little little cut, a little culvert. We worked around this knob to try to get to him. Spooked another deer and spooked him. Um, And we thought both those deer were pretty big. And so we, we saw the direction they kind of moved off towards. So we started working around this hill to kind of get a good vantage. And as we're working around this hill, I don't remember. Do you remember, Steve, who first spotted El Gigante, kissed by the sun? No, I do not recall. One of us. I think it might have been Dirt, because it was me, you, and Dirt. We get going around this corner. We see this buck. I don't know. He's probably 250, 300 yards away on this hillside. Um, and we get laid down. The, the problem at that time is the sun was right in our eyes, I remember. The, the problem we had seeing him horribly, horribly, have, yeah, horribly, probably the worst I've ever seen. So I got, I have some video that's quite, that's pretty popular of of me laying prone after we had first spotted El Gigante, where we decided we were punching each other in the arm. I think it, we were so excited about how big this buck was when we first saw him. I mean, it was immediate. All three of us immediately thinking this is the biggest coos deer that ever walked. Is that your is that your recollection, or am At I still time, playing it up? No, at the time, that's how I that's how I felt. <laughs> at the time. So he was I well, I felt we got a spotting scope on him. I got the scope on him, but because the sun couldn't get a shot, well he works down the hill, down uh into kind of a bottom where we couldn't see and up on this ridge behind it. And it was covered in shadows. That might as well have been black. We, I, we could see him moving from tree to tree, bush to bush. We could kind of see him serpentining through this stuff. But as I'm laying prone trying to get the scope on him, Steve's holding his hat in front of my front of my scope, and I'm trying to instruct him on where to hold the hat so I can actually see, and I get like tiny micro glimpses of this buck in my scope, and then the sun flares again, and I'm blind, and then i got to try to pick him up again. And so this buck, at this point, we still believe to be El Gigante, the biggest Coos deer buck to ever walk is kind of just slowly working his hillside and that's the most it would have been you know a difficult shot but one you could have made if not for that steve have you ever run into having to hold a hat like that oh yeah i've had over the years we've had a number of things get the slip just because the sun thing man yeah um and like you said it's like everything's black yeah it's horrible uh, I actually think fact, that, uh, yeah, the next year, right? Didn't you and I both shoot those bucks and we had to hold hats to make that happen? Yeah, I had I had Callahan 
standing there trying to move his hat around in such a way that it would give a little sun protection. It's a sunny-ass place. And the thing is, is in the wintertime down there, it's intense sun, but it's always at a low angle. Yeah. It's just like it's in the, at a low angle in the morning, and then all of a sudden it's just at a low angle in the evening. There's not like a midday part. It's just a lot of eye. There's a lot of eye level sun. It's like the thing comes up and seems to travel the whole damn horizon, shining in your eyeballs. It's a tough place yeah. for sun. And then you got the dust factor, where there's just a lot of dust. So dust is on your optics. Dust is in the air. Visibility's tough. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of coons here. I, I know out. you said this. I was just gonna say. A I lot know of you said this here. on the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. A lot Yanni. of coo- a lot of coons here hang out on uh, North Face and slopes, and um, that means that sun's gonna be in your eyes and in your scopes, uh, binoculars that much more because you're always looking south. Yeah, yeah, the I way think, that the way that sun acts, you'll have in the evenings, um, and sometimes in the mornings, you'll have, I don't know, man, what it must be, 40, 50 degrees of visibility that just doesn't do you any good at night. Yeah. It's just, it's like a real factor. It's just like sun, looking into the sun. Yeah, I think because of what we're talking about, too, I remember you saying this on the first, when we recorded that first episode. It's kind of you're very you're very aware of the times of day. It kind of like you have that you know the pre-dawn crepuscular those those periods where where deer are on their feet and it kind of snaps into midday and then it kind of snaps into mm-hmm. you know that that dusky time when the deer are actually moving. So you, you because of the way the sun is and the way that the way the terrain is and how intense it is, you kind of become more heightened to those moments when uh, prime time hits and. Yeah, yeah there's a palpable I, excitement when it gets like deery, you know, on a hot yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And I know we we experienced that here, and we were kind of in that deery time period when when El Gigante made his his move. Anyway, he's he was working through this hillside, and I it's the most frustrating thing when you know if if we can get the hat scope deer scenario right, all the elements to line up perfectly you're going to get a good shot at this deer and he's a big deer and we really want to shoot him. And as we said before, man, if he gets away tonight, we may never see him again. And likely in the country where we were, it was very likely we would never, never get eyes on him again. So you feel that pressure. I felt that pressure. We're working through. He finally stops. I remember behind an Ocotillo on this hillside where I have the crosshairs on his shoulder. I can finally make him out. I have the crosses on his shoulder. I'm not going to shoot through his Ocotillo. He just needs to make, two or three steps for me to get a wide open shot. He makes, instead of three steps, he makes like a step and a half. And so I'm shaving it off and I'm thinking, well, I could still get a bullet in there. I squeeze the trigger. Shot goes off. Chaos. I don't know if I hit him or not. I don't know what the hell went on. I can't see anything. Sun's right back in my eyes afterwards. Nobody, I, I remember Dirt was trying to film it, trying to see if I had made a decent shot. Nobody knew. I wasn't sure of the shot. I wasn't real confident just because all the scenarios going on. And then we pretty quickly, Steve, didn't we make, just make our way down the hill to check things out. Yeah. Went down there and then had a really weird thing happen where we're checking around for blood. And this has always confused me a little bit because we're checking yeah. around for blood, but all of a sudden we could hear something running. Like he thought we were a doe, like he spooked, but then thought we were a doe or something. And hear something running and he storms back in on us. 
Yeah. You like, were, I remember. Close enough, in, to shake, close enough to shake hands. Five yards, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to over-exaggerate how close How big was. did he look then? Not as big. Not. <laughs> <laughs> But to this the was point a different. Where, this to the a, point where we're like, it must have been a different buck. Now I don't yeah. believe that. <laughs> In my mind, still to this day, I'm like, well, that was a different buck, even though it was the exact same spot that buck just was. It was the weirdest thing I've seen one of those things do. Um, yeah, and did, I was kind of sto- he stormed back in, and I was kind of I was below you, kind of caddy cornered. I mean, I was probably at your you know say eight o'clock or nine o'clock, and he's storming like towards you, and I could see the deer. But as I shoulder my rifle, I remember you just saying, shoot him, shoot him. And he's coming in. And I can't, I, I have to like stand on my tippy toes to get a decent shot because we're in the tall grass. And I freaking squeeze a shot off at, at what felt like point blank range. And he just turned around and ran <laughs> off. I felt like the worst fucking hunter to ever wear a pair of boots, man, at that moment. Because I was like, this is, we're still thinking this is El Gigante at this point. That we just got this lucky, this very fortuitous second chance at the biggest coos deer to ever walk, and I just yeah, missed them. Was, it wasn't like if you were in hunter's safety. You know, they show you those slides in hunter's safety. They're like <laughs> shoot, don't shoot. I think it would have been very clearly in the don't shoot realm. Yeah, because yep. it's like there's a big embankment, and you could see a deer basically from the white throat patch up, sticking his head up over the bank. <laughs> But it just said like if you had I to pass, if you had to pass your test, you'd have to be like you know, I, clearly I would shoot, but I'm gonna have to say no because this is a yeah. test. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you weren't here, I would say yes. <laughs> like if I'm being honest, I mean, I yeah. felt at the time you feel like, like the no, deer is no. By which I mean yes, <laughs> yes. I mean no for the purposes of passing the test. Yeah, man, I felt like this deer was at the end of my gun barrel. Like that's how. <laughs> I felt like that. I just felt like you could never have another opportunity, as frenzies as that was, to get that deer. I mean, he just walked right in there. Dude, at, it was the at, weird. It was a weird, weird moment, man. I kind of forgot about how weird that moment was. And I just remember just feeling immense shame at that moment. Just immense, deep oh, it shame. Just, it happened so fast and unexpected <laughs> and weird. Yeah. Yeah, and I just remember I missed this deer. And then I came up here and he ran back in and dive bombed me and I he kamikazed us and I missed him at <laughs> three paces and he just and I remember you looking at me with like this the confused look like how how could you not <laughs> offhand shooting's I, tough pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at 
twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth hey yeah. man i was at doug Dern's one time hunting whitetails and one of the i was hunting with uh our friend Brittany. i think no i was with helen our friend helen and she shot a buck and killed it you know and we wandered our way over there and had the same thing all of a sudden i could hear just hooves ablazing, you know and like someone else had spooked this buck and he had inadvertently run into us and the same thing. I mean, I could have swatted him with the gun and I threw up and like took like my chip shot, you know, my gimme and just whiffed. Like it can't even to this day, like understand how I could have. I mean, yeah. it was just right in my face. <laughs> but do you feel you don't you go feel through, like you definitely don't go through your like process. <laughs> Step one. Yeah, no, you feel like if we'd have grown up in the South running deer with dogs, maybe we'd had a better chance at this or something. Oh, we did a lot of deer. I, I lost whatever it was that allowed you to just always pull it together on deer drives. But uh, no, it just startles you, man. And like, I, I still don't know. I like It defies explanation that I miss this deer at Doug's. This is a nice big yeah. buck, too. It would have definitely been my biggest whitetail ever. I mean, yeah. I mean, in terms of El Gigante, I, I felt the the added pressure of like this is a giant deer we were all freaking out about the deer prior to this moment and uh i felt like such a dumbass after that we went back it was right around dusk when this happened and so we made the march back to the ranch and i felt like an absolute failure um 
it's just just like you said it's just a, such a weird encounter and you felt like this second chance of greatness you know you oh like, yeah when you're wandering through the dark down those dry ass canyons getting scratched up by cactuses and tripping over rocks it's a lot better when you just got a buck <laughs> yeah and I, I remember i don't know if it was, i remember you steve a lot i i we were all saying uh we when we would stop or we would pause we would say like well <laughs> like, we said a lot of like, yep, yep, happens. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> I was thinking, no, it doesn't. I don't know what you're talking about. Not sure what you're talking about. That was um, fun, though. It was fun. So the next day, Jon Snow, in that same zone, correct me if I'm wrong, Yanni, checks, sees a buck similar to uh, what Steve feels is El Gigante. Imagine and- that you took El Gigante and kept all the proportions and all attributes of his antlers, but just <laughs> shrunk it. Yeah. A buck just like that. Yeah. (laughs) So El El Gigante Jr., who clearly was just El Gigante's son, in my mind, um, as El Gigante probably still runs free. He's probably 200 inches by now. Um, He goes over, makes a pretty easy stalk, shoots this buck. Yeah, we had seen him, I think, the night before and couldn't get on him. Yeah, we we did. We we were waiting for him in the morning. Yeah, he gets over there and does what what I would pretend or what i would say is an easy easy stalk shoots this buck all is good um i'm the last one left stand holding the bag without a tear um and i remember hunting that entire day we sat up on that same ridge where we recorded the podcast for a while glassed a lot of bucks didn't really have much luck and uh oh we got a kiddo always get a kiddo um we didn't have much luck but then uh at the end of the day, we saw a buck. We're going after this buck. And the sun's going down. The hunt is ending. Things are over. I'm kind of coming to grips with the fact that I'm not going to get a deer. And Steve and I are kind of walking a fence row into the sunset. He keeps kind of cruising and glassing. I sit down. I'm just going to enjoy this sunset. I'll glass from here. I'm looking out across this this uh, area. And I don't. I think it was you, Yanni, that saw... The buck I no, Garrett, up first. Is that Garrett right? spotted it. Garrett did. Well, I had seen you guys a nice buck. Over. I had seen a nice buck back in that general zone. Again, like I don't know, it was the day before or two days before, but it was so far away and we hadn't really been hunting over there, so nobody was nobody was real excited to go and try to refind it. But uh that day I think it was Garrett and uh yeah, we radioed and then we all got together, right? Yeah, you came running over to us. I mean, this is, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes before legal shooting light when we spy, you spotted this buck, and we're a good ways away from him at this point. To get down and get over to where he was is going to take us at least that long, if not longer. So you came down to meet us, Steve and I, and we went running over there. I mean, legit running in, you know, losing light, running, trying to get to a spot where we could see him again and get a shot set up. Um Got any memories of this last ditch effort, Steve, to get this buck? No, because uh, I was left out of the loop. Oh, you stayed back, didn't you? Yeah, I knew it was going on, but I couldn't even find the deer. I was up with my binoculars. I never, I never got to look at the deer. I never knew where it was. I mean, it was, it was again. Well, it was getting pretty dark. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> 
It was oh, pretty dark. Very dark. No, I yeah. never, I never saw that buck, and I was always in spots where I had a pretty commanding view. Never, ever laid eyes on it. Even when you shot, I didn't know what you were shooting at. Or maybe yeah, I saw. A I don't remember what it was, but no, I never. I didn't know what the hell's going on, man. I was out of the loop. Well, we go running up there. You're out of breath. You kind of. It's you know, like I said, it is. It is. If it was last shooting light, it was. It was the the final final rays of light. Like we and we, I get laid down prone we're trying to figure out where this guy is he pops up on this ridge and starts working down this ridge chasing a doe and then works around to a spot where i can get a shot and i know yana you were there and he gave me just a millisecond where he stopped broadside and i squeezed off the trigger and he was gone like disappeared didn't i didn't see him running didn't didn't see anything just gone and i thought in my head i had so little confidence at that moment and my head, I'm like, well, that's that's a great way to end it. Just miss another deer, put that on the ledger, you know. Well, yeah, that's but it's not because it's not because like something crazy happened. It just went from like when you can kind of see to pitch black, and at the same moment that you shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the blast out of the muzzle might have uh, dilated, <laughs> dilated or, my eyes, or not dilated, done the opposite, <laughs> closed your pupils a little bit, and that way, when the muzzle blast disappeared, <laughs> it seemed like it was pitch black. I was, and um, I took my sunglasses off, and then there we were. But yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I just thought for sure I had missed. I, you know, I knew it was a good, solid shot. I was right on him, and then, it, but it just the lack of confidence led me to think immediately I missed this thing. Now that was a, a hail mary hunt or a hail mary attempt at killing that deer from the the minute that we decided to go after him because it was so late in the day it was that must have been like the longest dusk period that hunters have ever encountered because it was we had like 20 minutes left when we hooked up and we shot the buck like two hours later it seemed like (laughs) (laughs) i want to point out there was no artificial lights involved no artificial lights and you want to point out that we're hunting in mexico they don't have rules about when you can shoot or not um, so as long as you feel like you can make a safe shot, um, then you can shoot. And that shot at that, when you shot, wasn't that far. I think it was like 150, no. 175 150 yards. yards. And he was yeah. up kind of up on a little ridge where he had the kind of some light behind him where I could get a good, uh, silhouette. I knew exactly where I was holding. And when I pulled yeah. the trigger, you know, like I said, it was just the lack of my lack of confidence that this was all going to work out because it was such a hail mary. It was such a last minute, like maybe this will work, but it's probably not. But we're here, so let's try. Was, so I just didn't have a lot of confidence in the end result. So when I pulled the trigger, he was gone. There was you, there was no flagging, running one way or the other. There was no. It was just literally nothing. Um, and so I was sure of it. And then we walk over there. I think Steve got there before anybody. Or Steve spotted him for anybody. We walk over there. And he had literally just kind of flopped over. You know, he maybe been ten yards down the hill from where I shot him. He had just flopped over in a spot where uh, he wasn't visible till you walk right up on him. Nice damn buck, too, man. A great buck, and a, and a, you know what essentially is a perfect shot. I mean, he right in the heart, and he fl- flops over, and he's dead, and it works out, even though it was midnight. Yeah, that turned into a death march too, if I remember right. It did. Was it? Yeah, wasn't nah, it? We, some long ass. Because you can't pick your routes at night very good down there. I thought we just walked that bottom out the whole way right to the to the buggy. Oh yeah, we did. We did. Well, they yeah. pulled the buggy. They pulled the buggy down in that in that bottom, and we walked the the bottom right out of there. But we did. I mean, it was dark as hell when we skinned that thing and, and cut him up. 
That's for sure. It was, it was uh, late for sure. But I was just looking at the pictures from the from that night, and um, the Kuzdair gods were really shining down upon you because there's a picture of El Gigante and then your buck, and your buck's bigger. Yeah, I've earned. I earned something. If there are Kuzdair, if there are Kuz, if there are Kuzdair gods, they just kept trying to get get a deer for me, and I kept trying to mess it up. They're like, "Well, we'll send that buck you just missed. We'll send it back. Just get, run over there. He'll miss that." But yeah, I I mean to get a, I have that buck hanging in my garage now, and people always con- con- That's a nice nice whitetail. Like, nope, that's a Kuz. Yeah, so well, try whitetail. again. No, dude, yeah. it's the best. It's it's. I love it down there, man. I do too. Um, and that's, I mean, as far as a hail mary ending, that's that's what exactly what it was. I would admit to that. Like, I was confident to pull the trigger, but it's not wasn't the best scenario um, to do it. But it worked out. And sometimes uh, you got to take those those opportunities when they give them, they present themselves. That's what that was. I'm gonna bring it full circle for you, Ben. I Ooh. read an article today about how Mexico is not taking necessary steps ahead of the yeah. coronavirus man really where what's their did it, what are their case uh numbers it's super light but i think that that they're one of those countries that could be learning from what everybody else didn't do yeah. and maybe they're not doing it well i'm gonna so bring it I, even I, f- I wish them i uh wish everybody down there the best man I do too. I'm going to bring it even further full circle and ask you guys to pull up the t- hand turkey emails because that Dude, has nothing to do with what we're talking about. No, but, but I'm telling you what, like when I go to museums, I just walk around being like, shit, I could have done that. <laughs> but when I pulled up those turkey hand things, I did not have that feeling. It was it was humbling, even humiliating. A little bit, yeah. The, Yanni, artistic, you- the artistic quality of those turkeys. Have you gotten to look at them yet there, Jan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at them. But I, I feel like there's one. <laughs> Some the, of them aren't hand drawings. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, one that's, the one that's named unknown. Are they all unknown? Sorry, they're all unknown. One, uh, no. Which one? This, this is. I didn't name This is unknown with, with no number, where it's got two turkeys. There's a hen and a gobbler. Yep. And the hen yep. might be a decoy. Um, yep. Yeah, I just don't see uh, how a human's hand fits into that. Maybe, <laughs> no, maybe, it's inspired. Maybe the, it's inspired by turkey hand drawings. Maybe yes. the hen. If you took your hand this way and then turned it, I could see that. Yeah. you know, if not a vertical hand, like and you normally have the vertical feathers on these hand drawings, but his hand, if you cocked it sideways, I can maybe see it. But his gobbler, I, I just no. I don't. No? No, I don't think it's a hand drawing. I don't think it's inspired by a hand drawing, but I like that fist, how he's making a fist. <laughs> but Oh, it's no, super yeah. cool. But it's he was not following. It's like this, man. In school, right? Now and then you just got to follow the assignment. Yep. We have, when we he do didn't these. follow the assignment. Now, tell me about the one that's entitled The Man. Thirty-two, forty-four. Clearly inspired by hand drawing. I'm not buying it. I don't think it was a hand drawing, but it was inspired by a hand drawing. Makes great reference to hand drawings. Yes. Excellent execution. In my mind, it's a clear winner. I could see someone having that as a tattoo. That's what I was thinking when I saw it. So uh, just to describe what we're looking at here, it's a, a turkey. I can't even try to describe it for me, Yanni. 
Uh, I, I it just makes me laugh too hard to fucking look at. It. Yeah, it's uh, he, he he if if it was just the hand, the hand part, don't count the thumb yet, just the hand part with your uh, four fingers up in the air. That's all very turkey color, turkey feather ish. Um, out of the bottom, there's some turkey legs. There's a little beard. But then what really makes this is that the thumb has been elongated and they basically took Ben's costume from the video that we did, which I believe we titled I'm the man and uh, sort of drew a cartoon uh, of that character that Ben played and attached it to this hand Turkey and um, did, did a, really, a, a great job. I mean, if you don't print that thing out and frame it, um, and put it in your office. Something's wrong with you. No, that should go in the podcast studio. No, oh, for sure. Even, yeah, even better. I was thinking to make a little, little Hall of Fame, but yeah. Now I want to move on to. We've talked about this a lot. The guy's name well, Alec. Is H. there dis, is there agreement or disagreement that trusting that we're going to wind up back in our studio at some point that this will be in the podcast studio? Agreement okay. from my end. So I'd be that's pretty an, disappointed. That's an okay, amazing I got, word. I just got. I just want to point out one thing about this picture. Do you see the one thing? There's, there's like a anatomical miss. The thumb is way too long. No. Is it that the? Um, I mean, it's it's like you mean that this guy has a human face for a face? No. No. It's got my face. <laughs> it's got my face. That uh, that each finger the, is just painted as a turkey feather. The the spurs are upside down. Oh, good eye, Yanni. Oh yeah, Yanni. All right, that's why you're here. She's so. that Yanni man. Some <laughs> well, no, I, I always forget it. how impressive that guy is. Uh, that Yanni. Always, so like now go to Encyclopedia go to the, Brown. I don't know if you ever read those books. I, and I don't know if we're gonna count that against him. I mean, I still love the thing. Um, it, it just it still I deserves just, to be hung you know, up. It's just we'll always remember the flaw. That flaw. Now, if you yeah, go to the which bottom, one's next? Or the, the the one that's IMG seven four eight three. Um, beautifully titled <laughs> yeah that's that's <laughs> are you looking at that now very yes. very impressive and, and not again inspired by the hand drawing right oh, this was made I, out you of know, fl- but each finger is a squirrel's tail <laughs> yes made by a, a big fly fisherman turned turkey hunter thanks to our podcast he told us um this is his first year turkey hunting, so he used all his fly tie material to make this turkey. Uh, I just, I, it's hard to, it would be hard to put this thing down. We've talked about it on the show a lot. It's kind of become the mascot of the daily podcast. Um, it's beautiful in my mind. Has he sent you the, did he send you the real thing? Yeah, he's going to send it. I told him just wait till the quarantine so we can get back and yeah, receive he's got, it. It's got receive a San Juan, it's got a San Juan worm for a, uh, for a, uh, uh, snood snood yes uh yeah it's got its caruncles there it's got its the, beard. the caruncles are made out of uh beads like that you would use to beads. you know to fish uh, uh trout that are eating salmon eggs there is a turkey feather in there uh and the for the wing i would think yeah there is, i mean what do you call the stuff that you tie woolly buggers with i can't remember now but that's what his beard is made out of um yep. and then there's some Levi. uh grizzly hackle which is, you know, part, part of his body. He does have a couple turkey feathers in there. But what I didn't notice until just now is what he used for the turkey's hooks. Oh, yeah, fish hooks. Oh. Yeah. Ah. 
Actual Damn, hooks. Yanni. <laughs> the guy used <laughs> yeah. fish hooks for the turkey spurs, yeah, uh, which is great. Yanni just, Yanni just goes right to the spurs, man. <laughs> he's, and well, then he's he put it on a stake and put it outside and used his portrait. another f- in its natural environment. Uh-huh. There's another photo that you. There's another photo that I will send you that he he did it with, like beside a white claw with some toilet paper. It's very relevant for the time we're in. Mm. Uh, so this that was Alec. He was he's been the leader in the clubhouse for at least two or three days here since he sent that to us. But I think that that picture of with my face on it, the one we were just talking about, that's going in the studio, is is kind of like I never thought this this. Alex's uh, creation would be the throne, but that that other one is pretty close. The man thirty two forty four is pretty yeah, close. I, I you know how there's two those. called unknown one. Oh no, there's unknown. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> unknown and unknown yep. one. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Unknown one is a hand drawing. And it's the hand drawings are set in the natural environment, and we a weird stylistic decision was to paste the turkeys over deer so that you can still see the deer's feet sticking out, <laughs> which I don't know if I agree with. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I didn't see that till good now. Eyes. It's, it's good eyes. That, that it's good that you guys are here with those eyes uh, that I, I had been looking. I just giggle at, like, the faces because I have a child's mind. But that's a good that's a good point. They, they must have just glued them or taped them onto a picture of some deer. Standing out in the yard. Standing out in the yard. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, deer and turkeys do hang out together. Oh, yeah, they do. Um, if you look at the other one that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, but hold on. I have one quick question. What's up with the please. gobblers? Uh, what's on his wing there that looks like a target? I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the email I got. But that this was a father and his two kids that did this. So that was the father. And then the other two turkeys are from... His kids. Um, I have to go back and look exactly if he explained what's going on there. I do not know. But I, it looks like a valve of some sort. I'm not real <laughs> sure. Or some sort of tattoo. <laughs> I'm not sure. So, yeah. So, go to 202-00324. Well-named again. Mm-hmm. What are we thinking about this one? This is uh, a female listener sent this in. It's got... It's it's uh, it's definitely a hand. Yes. Yanni, I like it. Think? It's a little. I like it. It's a little more abstract. Um, it's a little more. Um, I don't know. Which could you even it's call like a, it like impressionistic? Maybe. Yeah, it's like a watercolor painting. It's got like pink mountains in the background. No, those are those are oils. Acrylics. Sure. You only oils? think that's oil? Maybe it is watercolor. I don't know. Let me look closer. It's beautiful. It's got a certain. A certain thing going on. Are you looking at the like paint, the painting titled two zero two zero zero three two four dash underscore etc. Yes, that's underscore, the one. Yes, that's one we're looking at. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I like it. Uh, I like that the hand that it was based off is in the picture, but uh, yeah, it, uh, I like the label, but um. Yep. But no, it doesn't replace the winner in my mind. <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, everybody out har- there, that's be harsh. We had a goal, Steve, of trying to get a thousand hand turkeys uh, in this contest. <laughs> How <laughs> many did you get? So, I we have a lot. I don't know if we're going to a thousand, but we got hundreds of them. Oh, you um, had hundreds of them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, we've got. I got 
piles and piles of emails with hand turkeys. I haven't even I don't even think I've been able to look at them all, but these are ones that stood out. So we have till Tuesday. All you people out there have till Tuesday. Today I think is well, you're here listening to this on Thursday, so you have until this coming Tuesday to get your submissions in. But uh, as Steve maybe can tell you, you got some rough competition. We got some talented people out there. <clears throat> yeah, don't don't dissuade people. I would say like uh, it's still up in the air, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it's still up in the air. You, <laughs> you could be the winner. You could be the winner of a first light jacket. Here's what we're gonna do, Steve. See if you like this. We're gonna we're gonna get a first light jacket and screen print the turkey drawing, uh, really big on the back, like you know, Rocky had the leather oh, jacket with the tiger a great on idea, it. Man, yeah. So oh, that's yeah. what we're gonna do. That's what we're gonna do. So, all right, boys. Well, uh, hopefully, we'll see you in the office at some point uh, before spring is over. Dude, I want to get back in there so bad. I, I I can't. I love my family. I love my home, and I love going outside. Uh, I love some level of freedom that this provides. But I it would be a joy to see you fellas and give you a long, deep, uncomfortable hug. I was telling everybody the other day, man. I I walk around. Uh, I think it was poison. Was it poison? Don't know what you got, got till it's gone. Let's go. We'll no. go with poison. No, no. Captain and Tennille. Yeah, I didn't even sing that song. No, I don't know. That's not my game. I, I can <laughs> yeah, pick I out some know. upside down spurs, but not songs. Um, <laughs> not not like yeah, whatever. Anyways, I mean, you know the song. Pretty <laughs> soon here, song. we're gonna have to have like a, a get. You know how you see the pictures of like the dads in the neighborhood sitting standing in a circle, all ten feet apart, drinking beer. We're gonna have to do something like that where we shoot bows and stand ten feet apart. That's right. That's right. Yeah, um, I know, man. I got to get over my like actual because like I'm in a situation. You're on a where, different program. Yeah. Well, I am because you know, like the governor of your state says, "Hey, stand down for two weeks." It's kind of, you know, there, there's like the you oughta, but then there's also what kind of citizen are you? You know, so you, yeah. yeah, I got to yeah. go. I got another week of this like hardcore stuff, and then we'll see. What yeah, it's a good time for civic responsibility to be the thing. That yeah. we all kind of that guides us along in our daily thoughts for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of like you could game it out in your head and be like, "Well, really, what are the chances?" But you could also just be like, be cooperative. Yeah, that's the best thing to do. All right, boys, thanks for uh, telling deer stories. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Ben. See ya. That's it. That's all. Another episode in the books. It was a good one. It was good to get back together with my friends and coworkers there that I don't get to see. Um, it's good to see them. And it's good distraction from daily life. So thanks to Steve Ranella and Yanni Patelis for jumping on, talking about Coos Deer. Um, now, Phil, we have to make the great transition to something very important. Okay. And, and that is tomorrow's review of the Tiger King. Have you made it all the way through? Uh, uh, I'm more than halfway through. So I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of viewing tonight and tomorrow morning, but well, I've got, I've got three episodes left. That's not, that's not too bad. No. And really most of the, most of the important points are within the first couple episodes, the most of the craziness. And it just, it just keeps kind of cascading into darkness from there. But, um, (laughs) If you guys haven't been listening and you don't know about Netflix's documentary Tiger King, 
we're going to give you another day to go to Netflix and watch what essentially I think is six, six or seven episodes, seven hours, seven. seven hours of pure mind-bending oddities that you'll never see uh, in your life. We, I, it's hard for me to explain it. I feel unworthy, but I'm, I'm going to watch the whole thing again, make a bunch of notes, and we are going to have Annie Racer... Our VP of production, Phil's boss, and Seth, the flip flop flesher Morris, on the show tomorrow with Phil. We're gonna we're gonna do a happy hour. We're gonna actually record it at happy hour. We're all gonna have our separate beverages. I'm gonna really push that everybody drink heavily. I would like this podcast to devolve and be both a recap of Tiger King, but also a way for us to completely let off all the steam that we build up over these last two weeks of quarantine. This is going to be just, hopefully, a wild, drunken recap of the wildest show ever made. You, you ready, Phil? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Part of me wants to talk about stuff right now, but no. I, I don't think I should. I can't. Wait, you can't. <laughs> I have tr- I've been having to bat people off with a stick that wanted to be a part of this podcast. Phil, if we were able to get 16 people on Squadcast, we could have absolutely done it. When I told people we were doing a review, pretty much everybody at Meat Eater and, ev- and many people that don't work at Meat Eater wanted to be on to discuss this because it is like the thing captivating everyone. And you will find out tomorrow why it's captivated us, but it is, um, it is amazing. There's nothing really else to be said, Phil. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to it, to finishing the show and uh, talking about it. And I feel privileged to be included in, the, in this very intimate, <laughs> drunken podcast. Oh, I am going to get rip-roaring drunk tomorrow. I mean, just let it all out. And I feel like that's appropriate given the times that we're in right now. We just need some time to release and let go and have a good time and talk about meaningless documentaries. So that's what we're going to do. So join us tomorrow, Phil. For that beautiful, beautiful Tiger King, Joe Exotic. Bye! The Hunting Collective with Ben O'Brien is a part of the Meat Eater Podcast Network. It is produced by Corinne Schneider and engineered by Phil Taylor. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TheMeatEater.com, or anywhere podcasts are downloadable. Wherever you listen, leave a five-star review and subscribe. Oh, God, Phil. Oh, boy. What a day around here. I just, I can't. Uh, I'm losing it. If I have to get on another Skype conference call, Zoom, Skype, Squadcast, whatever the fuck, I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, please help me. Save me. Give me some counsel. Um, I just want to say you've been you've been doing great. I don't want to give you counsel. I just want to give you words of encouragement. Um You've you've been scheduling everything and uh, emailing people. I just come in here and I put on the headphones and I make sure everything sounds great. Give you the thumbs up and I walk out of the room. <laughs> That's right. I'm back. I'm rising like a phoenix. I'm back, Phil. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. We'll head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com 
It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.